Hello and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode 226. My name is Mike Anello, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the Drupal Easy Podcast. We're in challenging times, so I hope everyone is staying home and washing their hands and taking care of their loved ones. Um, I can only imagine how other people feel. I know that I've felt anxious and nervous and you know, a wide range of other emotions with all of this coronavirus stuff going on. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and press on and try and do my best to continue to post the Drupal Easy podcast every other week. In this episode, we've got some uh, a couple of cool interviews coming up. Before I get to that, I do want to mention that, you know, as far as I've seen, most Drupal events that are taking place in the near future have been postponed um, or have gone completely online. I know Midcamp just did that earlier this week, uh, and by all accounts, it seemed like it was uh, a pretty nice success. There's been some updates from the Drupal Association about DrupalCon Minneapolis. Uh, the latest update posted March 18th seems to imply that it will probably be postponed. They can't officially do that yet. Um, they go into, or I should say Heather Rocker goes into some detail in the latest blog post. So nothing's official yet, but it does look like that that's going to be um, postponed from its May dates uh, at some point in the near future. I also want to uh, call out some attention to a blog post that Dries posted uh, earlier this week about how open source fares during a recession. A pretty interesting blog post that gave me a little bit of hope. The TLDR on that is that in the past, open source continues to grow despite recessions. Um, and it could, maybe it has something to do with the fact that everyone's home. And for a lot of us, our hobby is contributing back to Drupal. So an interesting read and links to that, as well as to the official announcements about DrupalCon Minneapolis will be in the show notes. So let's get on with the show. A couple of really interesting interviews for you this week. Uh, first, this was recorded back in February. So last month, I sat down with Taryn Almendarez. Uh, she is a front-end developer with Lullabot, and we talked about empowering volunteers. So you'll hear that in just a moment. And then a little bit later, Albert Hughes and I had a conversation. Um, I actually met him at Florida Drupal Camp, and he works for the Memphis Grizzlies, or the company behind the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, that is a, a professional basketball team here in the United States. And he talks about how they use Drupal. And that was really interesting. I thought um, all the different ways that the organization utilizes Drupal. So sit back. Um, Get yourself a, you know, a nice uh, refreshment, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. I am sitting here with Taryn Almendarez. Did I get both the first and the last name right? Yes. I'm still working on the last name myself, so it's all right. Yes, new last name <laughs> new for last you, name. yeah. And your first name uh, tripped me up, and apparently it trips a lot of people up, because it's not spelled, I think, for... Uh, a lot of people, when they hear Terran, uh -huh. what I immediately think of is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes! Right? Because that's what Earth is called in Guardians yep. of the Galaxy. Yep. 
but it's, your name is not spilled, spelled that way. It is not. And I fell into the trap that you told me a lot of other people fell into the trap of where I called you Tierney. Tierney. Even though you, you had properly introduced yourself, I quickly forgot it. And it. It happens a lot. It's the extra E at the end, honestly, because one time someone dropped the E off and it was Taryn. Everyone got it right, so. Right. So we are at Florida Drupal Camp. Yay. And we just met uh, this weekend. Mm -hmm. And we were in a conversation earlier, and you gave a lightning talk yesterday as well that I thought was super cool. And you were talking about a lot of things that affect um, event organizers and other kind of community organizers. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, you've got a pretty cool background. <laughs> so what you know, what is it about your background that has given you this experience with um, kind of organizing volunteers? Yeah. So I live in Dallas, Texas, and from 2015 until 2019, I actually uh, organized and ran as the core team lead, the uh, team for Black Girls Code in Dallas. So a lot of that went from where I initially volunteered just as a technical assistant, and then I became a technical instructor. And then it quickly became identified that if you give Taryn a task, she will go and fulfill it. So uh, after a couple of years, I ended up leading the core team and realizing that there was a lot to do and that I needed a lot of other hands that were not my own to get things done. So I ended up recruiting lots of other core team members and also volunteers. So that's what I talked about in my lightning talk. And I guess people thought that was pretty insightful. So. So, so you had about four years of experience doing yeah. that, right? Um, I think there's also like innate, an innate skill that people have that you know um, they may not know it at first, but once you grow into a role like that, it kind of makes sense and you, it kind of comes easier mm -hmm. um, to you. Um, so the we were talking this morning the group of people and the phrase empowering volunteers came yeah. up, which as a camp organizer. Um, is, you know, that's, that's kind of a key phrase, right? That's, uh, no one can, well, I guess you could organize a camp on your own, but no one would want to, I would think. Yeah. And there are often people who say, I want to help, but they don't know how to help. Mm -hmm. And as one of the organizers, it's kind of our job to tap into that raw volunteerism and turn that into action and turn that into less work that we have to do yeah. and a better event. Um, so I'm hoping that you have some tips or just some strategies that, uh, and it, not necessarily even for event organizers, but just kind of community organizers. Yeah. Um, like what, what are some of the things we can do or be on the lookout for to help empower volunteers? Yeah. So one of the things that I think really helped me is that I just love people and I love like watching people to succeed. And so I had to sit down and like look at what kind of like some fundamental like punchy words for being able to understand how to interact with people and there's the empowerment part right but I think that there's three overall concepts with trying to empower volunteers one of them is activation the other one is empowerment like we talked about and then another one is recognition um, like you said there are people that feel like they want to help and a lot of people have this a lot of people that get involved with volunteering with things have a desire to help, but they're not sure how they can help. Or you might see somebody that you see has a lot of skills that could be really helpful to the goal that you're trying to fulfill, 
but you're not sure, like, how do I approach this person and ask them, hey, I have this thing that is going to require a lot of your free time that you could be using for something else. Will you come and help me with it? Um, and I, I just kind of reflected over, I guess I'll talk about the activation part first. Yeah, when it's funny because when I hear activate volunteers, in my head I immediately go to robots that need to be turned on, which is probably <laughs> not what it should be and not what you probably have in mind. But yeah. Well, it's like I think a lot of people have the potential to be able to do something, and I think that it was something that happened for myself. Like It's something that even now like as I'm talking to you about it, one of the things that can be difficult is – feeling that you have these skills and seeing that there's a need but not knowing how to get those met. How to connect. How to connect, yeah. Right. So you can see someone and recognize that you know they can help you and you can try to start a conversation with that person. Um, for example, in Black Girls Code, we had someone who was a teacher for one of the school districts and she ran like the entire like STEM and robotics program for this district. And she had access to a lot of resources, but I knew like as a school teacher, she was very busy. Another person that helped us on our curriculum and development team, she was a, um, a college student that was finishing her master's. She was wanting to learn how to apply the skills that she learned in curriculum development more. And it's like, how do I reach out to this person and ask them, will you come and also like share in my martyrdom to get this thing done? Maybe not as much martyrdom as me. <laughs> um, but letting someone know that you noticed their talent or their skills or their desire to help, that means a lot. Like when someone recognizes that you have a skill and that there's a way to contribute. It, it motivates them. Yeah. It, it's a motivator, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then like, it's like, oh, that person noticed, mm -hmm. you know, noticed that I can contribute and that's kind of validating yep. what I can possibly bring to the table. And that, that feels good. That's a positive emotion. Yep. And I realized like one of the most important things to that was, you know, coming along with noticing them, also being mindful about the amount of time that they have to be able to give back. Um, asking them, intentionally asking them, will you help with this? And being realistic with them about the amount of time that something will take, what you're asking them, um, that's important. Uh, whenever I was recruiting core team volunteers, I let them know, you know, I know that the description might say this, but realistically expect that you're going to spend 10 hours a week contributing and asking if that's a commitment that they can make. And once you've asked them, once they've said yes, honoring that commitment that's very important because you want that person to feel that you're respecting the boundaries that they set up, the commitment of time that they have. Um, it also keeps your volunteers from burning out. Like that was right. one thing that was very important to me and I think that it should be important to anybody that's gonna organize. So when, I, when, I, when we were talking about the phrase activate a volunteer, um, I look at it from the standpoint of sometimes, everybody's different mm -hmm. and I generally you know in my very simpleton way of looking at it there are volunteers who want to help um, but aren't necessarily self-starters mm -hmm. they need the process yep. and tell me what to do a b c d um, even if they're you know even if we say look here's a task go do it mm -hmm. um, you know make all the decisions on your own 
sometimes that's people aren't comfortable with that. Yeah. They want they want more specific steps. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's job of the organizers to, you know, figure out, or at least for me, yeah. figure out which of the two buckets they belong in. And I'm sure there's more than two buckets, but yeah. you know, in my simple mind, there's two buckets. Yeah. Are they the type of person who I can just say, We're gonna need hundred and fifty bags with the logo, mm-hmm. go make it happen? Or are they the type of person who I have to say, here's the types of bag we want, here's um, exactly where to get the logo. Here's where you want to order them from. Mm-hmm. Here's our timeline. Um, you know, so sometimes you know, some people are one way. Sometimes some people are other way. So for me, activating a volunteer mm-hmm. involves figuring out what type of like volunteer they are. Well, the other thing I think too that's beneficial to that because I believe that that that's a pretty good generalization of it. But also seeing that the person that might be in bucket A now can be in bucket B later. With confidence. I think confidence mm-hmm. is a differentiator, right? Or yeah. no, or maybe well, part of it. So confidence is there, but confidence can also be grown. So one of our volunteers that we had, she was a technical assistant. She said, you know, this is what I'm comfortable with, with this workshop. And we were short on uh, technical instructors. So the difference between technical assistants, technical assistants help out the technical instructors in the classroom. And I believe that this person could be a technical instructor, but you have to try not try you have to respect like where someone's coming from and be willing if you're an organizer to go along on that journey with them um when she uh this person i'm trying not to use people's names because i haven't asked them if it's okay to put their names <laughs> in a podcast may give them a fake name right um when karen it'll be easy because it rhymes with taryn when karen <laughs> um she decided that she wanted to be a technical assistant and that's what she was comfortable with. And afterwards, in the work, after the workshop was finished, I went and I was like, hey, Karen, how did it go? How did you feel about how things went? And Karen gave me some feedback about things. And I got to know Karen as a person. And I think that that's one of the most important things is that you understand like, what are some of the fears that this person is having, especially if you're trying to grow this person into being able to be an asset for you and your organization and your mission. Um, and Karen would tell me, well, this thing went well, this thing didn't go so well. And being able to understand what their personal goals are and see if that aligns with where it is that you see them being able to go. Um, after a couple workshops of volunteering as a technical assistant, we had a workshop that came up that Karen knew the subject matter. And I approached Karen and said, hey, you've done technical assistant a couple times. Um, would you like to be a technical instructor? Because I know that this is your wheelhouse. And Karen's like, yeah, I, I really feel like I can do this now. And not only did Karen become a technical instructor, but she was also able to train other people that were coming in as technical assistants. And that was one thing that I didn't have to have on my hands necessarily. I could say, hey, Karen, I've got this person that you know is very excited to start. They want to co-teach. Like They are also afraid. You remember what that was like, right? And they, because they have gone on that journey and because you've gone on it with them, they can recognize other people that are starting that journey. So I feel like we've moved from activation into empowerment yep. at this point, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is great. So, um, you know, to empower volunteers um, is kind of, you know, just as you described, I'm not going to repeat everything. Mm. Um, but are there other, you know, are there other things that you have seen or other examples as far as, you know, different types of volunteers? Um, to empower them to to work more independently, to make organizers' jobs easier. What are what are some other kind of pathways? Yeah, there's. I think a big thing to it is understanding what people's limits are. Um, often with 
Black Girls Code, we would have workshops where you needed to come in on a Friday night and you needed to help out on a Saturday. Like, this isn't for everybody. Sometimes you could just come in and you could go to the trainings and it was fine. But being able to understand the limits of what somebody was able to do and what somebody was able to give, um, setting them up with that task so that they're going to be successful in whatever time it is that they can give back to you, that feels good. That makes people feel empowered and them being able to see, you know what? I stuffed a bunch of name, ba name tags um, for this workshop and it helped because all of the teachers could find their students. They knew which classroom they were in. They were able to talk to their students because they had their names on it. That might seem small, but that's very meaningful for this person that maybe that's the only time that they have to volunteer, but they felt like they contributed to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see it on social media all the time. When, when people volunteer, they tend to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They tend to, and I don't want to use the word brag, but the, you know, they, I, I don't know what the right, what the right adjective is there, but it feels good. Yeah. And you kind of want to share that you've done something good. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if like, I, I know what you mean by, Brag isn't like brag's like a negative. Yeah. So it, it's not. I don't know what the right what the right. They word gush is. about it like they yeah. they're enthusiastic and they put that energy out and that's also important to being able to build your volunteer right. base. When other people see that people are getting fulfillment from this, they want to come and volunteer and they want to be in that energy too. And often yeah. our volunteers would bring their friends to come. Right. Or they would bring their friends to come and help us with things for our workshops. So. One of my uh, one of my friends actually ended up coming to volunteer because she saw like how much I was talking all the time about these are the cool things that we did. And she's like, hey, you sucked her into the orbit. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yep. Let's talk about recognition, because this is um, this could be the thing that either keeps people engaged or repels people. Yep. It's like I was saying earlier. I know. So I'm in my early 30s now. And a lot of the work that I did with BGC um, was in my late 20s. I'm not mathing right now. But, you know, to ask someone to take that time away, and some of our volunteers were um, are older, some of them are younger, they have families, they have things uh, that they're doing. And saying to someone, intentionally making the time to say thank you for what it is that you did for us, it, it means a lot. There have been times... Uh, where, you know, I'll speak from personal experience. For me, and I'll talk from personal experience, there have been times where I've decided that a mission was worth the time for me to put in, but when all was said and done, you know, I didn't get a thank you for the work that I've done. Now, for me, I don't volunteer to get things. I volunteer because I believe in the mission. But there's only so long that somebody can sacrifice their time without you showing some sort of appreciation or consideration and just taking that for granted that people will come back. Like they'll start to not come back. And then, especially if you've been going through, you know, activating people and trying to do this empowerment, to lose someone because they don't feel that you're honoring the contribution that they've made, that's a huge loss in time. It's a huge loss in knowledge and resources, um, especially if you haven't gotten a chance to document those things or they haven't been able to share that knowledge with others. Um, and that's definitely a risk that if you can avoid, you know, do so. Um, and thank yous don't have to be elaborate. There was one workshop where I, I bought a bunch of those like little thank you cards from Michaels 
and we wrote like a message in it. We hand wrote, you know, thank you messages and everybody on the core team signed it. And that was very meaningful for people. But at the same time, we did like a volunteer appreciation event where we went to a bowling alley and we just all hung out and we talked and it's. Well, I'm going to interrupt you because you say it doesn't have to be much, Mm -hmm. but I, at the same time, I'd argue, I think it has to be more than a Slack message or an email, right? It has to be, you know, you have to demonstrate that you have put, I feel that you have to put some thought into it or some time. And mm-hmm. it's not like something, I think as we were talking about this earlier, it's not something you can do as you're walking, you know, into the grocery store or something, right? right? So something, either like a, a handwritten note or public recognition is always good in, in yeah. some way. Um, you know, it, it, like I said, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it has to be genuine. Yeah. And it has to be something that, you know, the person receiving the, the, the recognition knows that it's not BS. Yeah. And it models you taking those actions, especially as the organizer, models the way that we are going to treat each other and honor each other's time and commitments um, among your volunteers. I think one of the things that is most important to me, like if you're growing an initiative or like you have a camp that you're doing, is making a culture where the volunteers are together and they're able to see that the things that they're doing together are valid. So one of the things that I think is important is growing a robust community and culture amongst your volunteers because it can't always be you, Mike, that's going and saying thank you to people. It can't always be you that's going and organizing things. That was I, I'm sighing right now because that was one of the hardest things for me to get over was that I couldn't be everywhere thanking every single person every time. Right. It needs to be part of the culture. Yeah, it right. has to be part of the culture. One of the other things that we ended up doing is that we, vol- we highlighted volunteers' contributions. Um, when our volunteer that was uh, graduating from college with her master's finished, we got a thank you card and everyone signed it. Like we went around signing it and we made sure to highlight her in front of the parents and the kids to say, you know, this person has been giving her time, you know, even with trying to go through a master's program in computer science. And you could tell that it meant a lot to her to be recognized and to everyone else that we were recognizing the things that she did. Um, Also recognizing people's personal accomplishments. If like someone just bought a house or had a kid or got married or something like that, recognizing that amongst your community reminds everyone that you see that not only are they a person that's contributing to what it is that you're trying to do. They're more than just one of your volunteers. They're human. And we forget that a lot. Like there's a mission but then there's also the human people, the human beings that we're serving with our mission. So, all yeah. right. So this is fantastic. Um, I, 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 this is the stuff that I, I, I thought about, but the fact that we broke it up into like these three phases: activation, empowering, and recognition. I think for me that's very helpful because now I can kind of, I can kind of put stuff into buckets and columns <laughs> or whatever, whatever analogy I want to use. Um, so thank you for that. I did actually forget to mention off the top and ask you, like, what you're here at a, a Drupal camp. Yes. Um, you work with Lullabot. What I do you do, do with Lullabot? I am a front end developer in the support and maintenance department. So huh. I just joined in September. I, that, was, that has been one of my goals is to like 
work hard enough to get in the lullaby and I have accomplished that and that just feels super exciting to me. And the thing that's craziest to me is you, by all accounts, appear to be like an awesome awesome human being oh. and yet your lullaby buddy is Mike Herschel? Yeah. How does that happen? I mean... Those two things are kind of at conflict, aren't they? You know, I feel like <laughs> it's like when you have like... I'm going to make like a weird thing. So some people As long as you're put, making a joke about Mike Herschel, you can say whatever you want. Some yeah. people put like pepper on their cantaloupe. Mm. And it's like, you know, maybe it's one of those Is things. Is he the pepper or the cantaloupe? No. I think I think he'd be the pepper because <laughs> Mike is spicy and I'm sweet. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. Yeah, it works out. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for taking the time. And we'll see you, I, I, hopefully, at a, at a Drupal event in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me about this. This is really fun. MyDropWizard.com. If you have a Drupal 6, 7, or even a Drupal 8 site, and you do not want to be the person in charge of maintaining it, keeping modules up to date, keeping core up to date, and all that sort of thing, then you should talk to the folks at MyDropWizard.com. They offer basic maintenance plans for Drupal 6, 7, and 8, especially if you have a Drupal 7 site, you should be paying attention to this one. Um, Drupal 7 is going to be end of life pretty soon, and you want to make sure that, that site stays up and stays secure. That's what MyDropWizard.com can do for you. For a low monthly fee, they start at about $99. MyDropWizard.com will help keep your core, Drupal core, and uh, contributed modules up to date. They will help you keep the site online. They will answer support questions for core and popular contrib modules, and they will even perform basic one-off maintenance tasks. Things like fixing up a view or you know, making a CSS tweak or something like that. If you are in the position where you don't wanna to have to maintain your Drupal uh, 7 site anymore, then you should definitely give the folks at mydropwizard.com. All plans include a complimentary site audit, a 24-hour response time, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. So it's worth your time to check them out. Just go to mydropwizard.com. Hey there, I am here today with Albert Hughes, a, a longtime member of the Drupal community. Albert, you've been in the community for well over 10 years, at least according to your Drupal.org profile. You are the Senior Manager of Marketing Technology for Memphis Basketball LLC, which is the, the parent company of uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, um, who are a professional NBA team. So, hey, welcome, Albert. Thank you. Welcome. I, I appreciate you for inviting me on. Oh, no problem. So this stems from the fact that um, you came down to Florida Drupal Camp a couple weekends ago. Yes, sir. And you and some of your coworkers gave a lightning talk. We do this, these lightning talks at the end of the day, which people uh, seem to really enjoy. And you gave a lightning talk about how the Memphis Grizzlies use um, Drupal in, in a variety of different ways. And, you know, I, I, like most people, I was kind of blown away by it. Um, it was a really good lightning talk, and it, it kind of made me wonder um, or want to go a little bit deeper with you about it. So. Um, Let's talk about that in a second. You know, let me just give a little more background information. So Memphis Basketball, that is, I guess, the parent company of the Grizzlies, as well as a, um, a, 
uh, a G League team. I guess I, I don't follow basketball too much, but yes, sir. It's it's like the minor league, the minor league affiliate, uh, which is the G League, Memphis Hustle. Um, the the NBA now has another franchise opportunity with uh, 2K. So it's esports um, where people play the basketball game NBA 2K oh, wow. five on five, um, and they're all they're all get paid. They're all playing tournaments. Um, it's actually it's professional. They have a draft, the whole nine. Um, so they have that. And then, um, of course, like I said, the arena, uh, FedExFarm.com. And then we have a in-house media brand that we, we started to develop called Grind City Media. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is you sound really busy. <laughs> it's been, it's been, it's been pretty busy, but, um, it's been fun. It's been, it's definitely been fun. Um, I, as, as you said, man, Drupal really brought me there. So, uh, it's, it's been a journey and it's, and, and it actually landed me here. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit, how, how'd you get there? I mean, so you started in Drupal 10 plus years ago. Like what does your journey look like? It all started at Drupal five. I think, um, it, to long story short, I started learning about the internet in high school. I had an HTML website, uh, where I would take pictures, scan them of me and my friends in the locker room at high school. This is back in 2000 or so. Um, and over the years while I was in college, I was just learning HTML, CSS, FTP, just getting familiar with the basics of the web. Uh, maybe about 2006, uh, uh, I was looking for a way because I started creating music. I would take photos at different events. Video was starting to come around. Um, and I really was looking for a way to like have a site where I can house all my video, my photos, my music, uh, articles and things like that. So I had actually bid out. I just sent, I just started looking online um, and found a company and they sent me a bid uh, to do it. And they said, it's in Drupal, open source. That's the first time. Well, I had heard about WordPress a little bit before and it was limited for me at that time. And then they said, Drupal can do this. It's open source. You can download it for free. And they had a number, a uh, couple thousand dollars. I, I couldn't afford it at the time. So I said, let me, let me see what I could come up with. And uh, maybe like in a weekend, I had got pretty much what I wanted working using Drupal. And I, I really made up my mind then that, hey, I'm going to try to see if, if Drupal might be the way. <laughs> it might be what they call the wave right now or something that I could ride on uh, for a career. So um, I kind of dug deep, start you know getting involved in the community, making websites uh, for some of my friends uh, and their local businesses. And then I came across a company called Shipple, um, and it was a, a web marketing firm in Houston. They actually had a proprietary uh, CMS called Tendency at the time. Uh, I was lucky enough to get get on there. It was a great training ground just for all things web in general. And I kind of brought the idea of less, you know, here's what Drupal is. I know we have a proprietary CMS, but this Drupal thing is pretty powerful. Uh, and it's something we might be able to to sell and, and service here at the company. So uh, kind of we start our sales team kind of took took a hold of that, start selling a few Drupal sites. Um, we made a, a Drupal rap video. Um, we, we actually made a first iteration of it for one of our conferences we were doing. Um, Dries posted it on his blog. And then a couple months later, we were going to DrupalCon Chicago. I think this is 2011. And um, we did a song, Drupal Rap, uh, did a whole video for it. And uh, from that, it just kind of took me on. I did a, I, I worked a contract for a few months for Lullabot. I worked at the University of Texas in Austin, uh, working with their website. 
I, I, I did a worked for a, a company called Spread Fast that's now called Coros. It's a social software company in Austin. Um, they they had a their whole website was built on Drupal, and I was kind of like the web product manager. Then I did a contract for with uh, JobCore.gov where we rebuilt that in D8. That was like 2017, I believe. Um, this did some kind of freelance entrepreneurial ventures and then um, the VP of marketing from the Grizzlies called me one day and said hey I saw your resume it has Drupal it has WordPress it has web I think you'd be a good fit for this role flew out to Memphis met with them and 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 here I am today almost two years later so parts of your story are, are like really familiar to me um, we've had you know for people who have been involved in Drupal for eight nine ten plus years your story is like super familiar, right? It's, yeah. it's one of those things where you were building stuff by hand early on and looking for a better way and stumbled upon Drupal and realized, hey, this is definitely a better way. You know, how can I use this to not only improve myself, but, you know, make money for, for my business. Yes, well. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you, threw, you, you mentioned the, the Drupal rap song. Um you know that's fantastic. The video, especially, I'll link it. I'll link to it in the show notes. It, I mean, it it's so well done. It looks yeah. so professional. It's it's so much fun. If you, you know, for those of uh, our listeners who haven't seen that video yet, definitely check it out. Yeah, it's get, it's getting older too, but it, I think it, it still it still holds up to the test of time. I think. <laughs> I think still yeah, yeah, that's hard to say for a lot of music. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so. So you've been with uh, in Memphis for about two years, and yes, it sir. sounds like you were, you you were in Texas to start. Yeah, I was in Texas. I'm originally born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, before the after that, kind of working at with, at UT in Austin, Texas, and then um, then came to Memphis. Yes, sir. All right. So talk to me about um, and this is kind of gets into what you talked about in the lightning talk. But you know, there's a bunch of web properties that. Um, you work with uh, um, in Memphis, you know, with, with uh, the Memphis uh, basketball um, company. Um, so, talk to me about some of those websites and what versions of Drupal and like maybe some of the you know some of the techniques you guys use to build out some of the features. Um, I mean, I find case studies like this super interesting, especially when they are for brands that I know about. Yeah, definitely. I'll give you a little rundown. We have five major website properties, grizzlies.com, which is on a kind of NBA-owned Drupal Drupal platform. I want to say it's Drupal 7, uh, where it's it's kind of a multi-site, so we don't have any control on, on modules, theming, uh, per se, from a Drupal way. Uh, but it is as, as it's, it's it's Drupal th- through and throughout as far as how you add content. Um, they're leveraging a lot of the Drupal techniques, and they provide us with access to use them. Uh, FedExForum.com is our website for our arena. It is on Drupal 7 at the moment. Um, and then we have three websites that are WordPress, Memphis Hustle, Grizz Gaming. They're both NBA league-owned properties, uh, so WordPress multi, multi-site um, configurations. And then we have a owned website, Grind City Media, that's on WordPress, both FedExForum.com and GrindCityMedia.com we host with Pantheon. Um on the Drupal 7 site, just say, we also use Drupal. Uh, we call it our utility server or kind of like our utility page. And we're leveraging Drupal 7 at the moment 
to create, we have modules that do helper functions. So we have one that when we upload a website to grizzlies.com, that what that that particular video is also pushed to a certain web, a certain YouTube channel. So for every um, web property, we have a corresponding YouTube channel that we that supports the brand as well. So if we upload a video to grizzlies.com and it's about the Grizzlies, it then goes to the Grizzlies YouTube account. Sometimes we'll have kind of some specialized content that we want to live on Grind City Media so we can leverage tagging in grizzlies.com and then that video will get pushed to the YouTube channel for grindcitymedia.com and and then um, it'll go over there as a draft and we can edit it and do what we want to it. And in that- Okay, wait, hold on, slow down because you're giving me a lot of information that now I want, now I'm more curious. (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. (laughs) No, that's right. No, so it sounds, you know, so it sounds like what you're telling me is, so you've got these utility Drupal sites- Yes, sir. That are somehow um, pulling in a feed from, let's say, grizzlies.com. And if it and if it sees and, and I'm I'm assuming it's some type of feed or maybe it's Jason or whatever it is, but somehow if you know if that feed sees a video and it's tagged a certain way, there's a process on the utilities Drupal site that kind of pushes that off to YouTube. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. And in that utility module, there's also a dashboard where you can look and see did did the video what videos are in process, what videos have been pushed over. You can set some parameters to say like put in the YouTube credentials for this account and use this tag. Uh, and what it, what we're leveraging is on grizzlies.com, the NBA on platform, they provide us with a content API of, of different content that we can use. So we created a module that, that it lives on the utility server site. And in that mod, in that, when I, when I log into that utility site, I can see the dashboard, I can see the progress and all the magic is happening within that module. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I think you already answered it, but it sounds it sounds like that this is a custom solution. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's, it's, it's something that one of my one of the developers on my team he came up with. Man, right now he and he's in the process of converting all all of the utility D seven modules he created to D eight. Uh, that's kind of our big spring summer initiative. Oh, great! All right, so talk to me about um, you know. Uh, Let's say I think you said the FedEx Forum site is a Drupal seven site. FedEx Forum FedEx Forum is Drupal seven. We kind of inherited it last summer. We were thinking about going to eight, but we also wanted to do some redesign. We were in the middle of our mobile, uh, like relaunching a new mobile app. So I thought it was kind of two big projects that we'd have to take on at that time. So we just decided to update the front end, uh, just update the front end, update the theme, um, enhance some ways in D7 that we already knew how we could do. Uh, so we just wanted to do those. And then we're leveraging. So we, we came across, a, we use this. I, I think this is a quick solution that we, we, we decided to use with the site because we in our app development, we have three kind of components within the app, the Grizzlies, the arena, or Grind City Media. And so instead of getting them to us where we have to leverage their CMS for event information that we would post to FedExForum.com, concerts, um, upcoming events, uh, different things like that, I we end up just leveraging, uh, creating a view, JSON, and it basically presents everything in the JSON feed. Now, like in JSON format, uh, and then I can provide that to our app developer. So they're just pinging that JSON to pull in all the content. So I just views, selected the fields I want, 
um, expose them basically as JSON, and then they could grab them that way. So what are you using, um, you know, what type of Drupal 7 solutions are you guys using for like uh, web layout? Are you using paragraphs, using panels, or using just custom templates in your theme? Uh, it's been more so custom custom templates and theme and really leveraging like blocks, block views, um, like views that are blocks and then laying them out that way just because, and then for, especially for the homepage, let's say that. And then, um, internally custom node templates, uh, for events, for, um, the news articles and and leveraging it that way. And then we have some other stuff going on where we're pulling in like the, the schedule from the Grizzlies. I mentioned this in the talk, leveraging, um, and I know I, some people might, we might be doing this wrong, but <laughs> we're leveraging, uh, it's like a Google spreadsheet that we can expose with JSON. Uh, and this allows anybody to update if we need to make a quick update to like the promotion of the game or something like that. Um, you can do it all or like an updated tickets link. We could do it all from just that same shared spreadsheet. Yeah, that, that's funny you mentioned that. I built out a, a solution for a client who on their Drupal site, they wanted basically um, one view that could output their various social media posts. Yeah. But I wanted to, you know, wanted Instagram and Twitter and a few others. And what we ended up doing was we ended up using a Google sheet that was populated automatically by um, if, what's that? If that, if this, then that, the yeah. IF2. I always forget the acronym. I always have to look it up, but if this, then that, dot com or whatever it is um so so that side of it populated the spreadsheet and then we consumed you know the the, the spreadsheet through a view and output it you know as a block and it, it ended up being it's, it's still to this day it works it's yeah a great little solution <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's one of the things i just that i've always enjoyed about drupal i know when i first got introduced to it a lot of people talked about it being like a it's like having Legos and being able to put together your solution. And I think that's one of the things that really drew me into it and still like has me interested and, and involved and in trying to just learn more and use, continue to push it and use it um, to today because it's like trying to be, it's like a, a box of opportunity to create solutions from. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, you have, you know, even in the past, you know, 15 minutes that we've been talking, um, the number of, um, interactions between Drupal sites or, or non-Drupal sites and Drupal sites, just pulling in feeds or exposing feeds. I mean, it sounds like you just do an absolute ton of it. Yeah, we've been, we've, I've been, a, I've been around it, <laughs> and I, I know, I, I think, and sometimes, and, and I always look at it like um, I look up to the Drupal community. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like, I, like looking back, I'm like, I've been around a lot of different integrations and a lot of um, just ways to use it and been able to leverage it. Uh, but I still look at it like, man, <laughs> like just look to the community and see all the great things that people do as far as contributing uh, modules and, and get involved. And I'm, I'm still kind of like a fan of everybody in the community. I love what you just said, that Drupal's a box of opportunity. That's a great quote. <laughs> all right. So um, first of all, you talk really fast, which I appreciate because um, I-, I talk pretty fast sometimes <laughs> as well. But I think I may have missed somewhere in um, uh, earlier. So which of the sites, if may- maybe none of them yet, are any of them running Drupal 8 yet? 
No, we have plenty. The one site that we have complete control over right now is FedExForum.com um, and our utilities web server. Um, both are in the process or in the in the works to move to D8, and depending on the timing and and how we, you know, possibly right. D9, <laughs> just depending <laughs> just depending on where we're at. Um, we're also looking at some I've, I've even coming out of uh, Drupal Camp and talking to my team. So that so the, the guys who came with me to Orlando were members of the marketing technology team. Um, one of the developers, he's been very familiar with Drupal over the last few years. He, he's 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 been over this this year. He's dedicated to really getting up speed on D eight D nine. And then uh, the other two are more junior uh, and getting into development, learning more in development. And, and even coming out of that, we're like, man, do we, we're really contemplating on uh, looking at Grind City Media as, as where that might be a Drupal 8, Drupal 9 site as well, uh, just because of the flexibility, because of some of the stuff we saw that we just think that that might be the better, uh, better solution for what we really want to do. All right. Well, let me ask you one more question, then, then we'll wrap this up. Um... So, and I guess I'm asking you, but you can answer on behalf of you and your team. Um, in, in you know, your investigations and as you're starting to move some, some of the utility sites and stuff to Drupal 8, is there anything in particular about Drupal 8 that you, that you see that you, you can't, like you're excited to actually use and you feel like it's really going to help? I think in short and not, maybe I don't have enough details, but I feel like when it comes to having other people manage content on the site, it may feel better. And I think it will give us the opportunity to like use it more as a, to send content other places. I just feel like whether that's with the mobile app, whether that's we're trying to do stuff on screens, because uh, it's some other, I just that like, like we, because we, we did, we do something else where we kind of expose a type of feed and they're pulling it in on the TVs within the arena. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff like where you are leveraging React a lot on the front end of our current website. So I, I still love the back end, the back engine, the content management engine. But I think um, I just, I'm just excited. I just think it's it gives us more opportunity um, to kind of push our content out to places. And I would assume, I mean, you've been in the community long enough. Uh, you probably have quite a bit of Drupal 7, I'll say fatigue. Like yeah, you're ready. You're I'm ready. ready. And, and, and it, I think I think I think that's probably one of the most things I'm excited about is just really moving to something new. I, I liked at coming out of there. I liked a lot what I saw about uh, some promises and thoughts in D9 and, and just that core theme initiative and things like that. I think I think if we get those in there, that's going to be tremendous as far as. Um, just people coming to the community and seeing something really pretty and, and, and user-friendly. That seems like a great place to wrap things up. Albert, thanks so much. I'm glad we got a chance to meet in person. I got to know you a little bit in Orlando and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll run into you at um, future Drupal events. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you again. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Albert. We'll see you. Okay, cool. Are you willing to 
sacrifice your life. Be the best with the monster, bloom on your monitor. Sight bombing on you, now look quadruple popping up. Look through your pocketbook, sight need a new look. Try a triple sandwich, use a demo, one example. Drupal, Drupal, got a lot of users. I'ma need to see a lot of sites on this movement. I'ma need to see more Drupal sites, watch us prove it. I'ma need to see more Drupal sites, watch us prove it. Drupal, Drupal, everybody Drupal. Drupal, Drupal, everybody Drupal. Drupal, Drupal. Welcome to the Change Notice. I'm Chris Weber. This is a recurring segment that focuses on the Drupal code repository and the daily progress made by developers around the world. Developers like you. Today's recording was discussed to the point of bike shedding until the lead developer chimed in with a thoughtful direction that took all the provided detail into consideration. All voices pulled together due to the feeling that they had contributed to the end result, leading to the successful on-time delivery of five things that may or may not have made a large impact, but I thought were kind of cool. Number one, new Stable 9 theme added for backwards compatible markup and assets. In order to allow core developers to iterate on the stable theme that so many tests inherit, and to allow the refinement of core themes going forward, Stable 9 needed to be introduced for Drupal 9. For those themes that currently depend on the old stable theme, you'll be able to migrate slowly to the new Stable 9 theme due to the inclusion of the old theme in Drupal 9 as well. It's promising that even something as foundational as a stable theme can be iterated upon as the major version numbers increase. Number two, database version requirements have been updated for Drupal 9. MySQL, SQLite, and Postgres SQL have all seen their version numbers increase. This is due to the steady progress of Linux distributions that tend to be the solid install base of Drupal hosting services. Throughout the lifetime of Drupal 9, we expect that these minimum requirements will be served by the majority of our hosting partners. Number three, themes can declare dependencies on modules. Themes can now de specify dependencies on modules, which means more fundamentally that they can safely use functionality provided by modules. What seems to have been implemented is that themes can, in fact, de declare dependencies on modules, but that doesn't mean declaring that dependency will trigger the installation of that module. The change notice reads, Existing themes that add a new module dependency will fail to update correctly on existing sites unless they install the module first. So when relying on this feature in an existing contributed theme, please communicate clearly to users that there is a new dependency. Even with this caveat, this is an exciting development for themes in Drupal 8 and 9. Number 4. 
Update PHP will no longer attempt to automatically remove modules. In Update PHP, there was a function named Update Fix Compatibility that has been deprecated since 8.8.4 and will be removed in Drupal 9. There is no replacement. This functionality has been fundamentally broken since Drupal 8.0. Since it puts sites in an unrecoverable state, modules can neither be uninstalled or re-enabled if they're added back to the file system. Going forward, if a module has incompatible or missing modules that are installed, update PHP will prevent database updates from being run until the site is repaired. To repair a site, review the page on troubleshooting database updates. And finally, number five, new default complete node migration migrates all revisions, including translations. A new node migration referred to as complete node migration now exists that will migrate all nodes, the node revisions, including translated nodes and the translated node revisions. The complete node migration will eventually replace the existing trio of node migrations, now collectively referred to as the classic node migrations. This advancement marks the end of a very successful migrate initiative that saw the standard Drupal 8 installation be able to migrate Drupal 6 and Drupal 7 content to Drupal 8 and with its completion marks an extensive effort done over multiple years to advance the migrate system as a whole. And now, time for shoutouts. Shout out to the organizing members of MidCamp, the Midwest Drupal camp that was to be hosted at DePaul University in Chicago, Illinois. They made the hard choice to convert the camp to being a virtual camp this year. I attended this camp, and it was excellent. Looking forward to going next year, whether in person or virtually. Shout out to the Migrate Initiative team for all of their hard work over many years. I'm sure we will all benefit from being able to import our content from not just old Drupal sites, many forms in the future. This has been the Change Notice. If you have feedback, please include it in the comments below. We can make this better next time. Bye. Thank you everyone for tuning in to episode 226 of the Drupal Easy podcast. Uh, a couple of final tidbits before I let you move on to your next podcast. I do want to mention that we continue to do uh, monthly professional local development with DDEV workshops online. Fantastic. Two-hour hands-on online workshops held monthly. The next one will be Tuesday, April 7th. Uh, I also want to mention that I wrote a book about DDEV. It's called Local Web Development with DDEV Explained, and there'll be a link, link in the show notes. You can just go um, on Amazon and search for it, and you should find it. And then finally, when DrupalCon Minneapolis takes place, I will be teaching a full-day workshop titled Drupal 8 Module Development Basics. So if you need to get up to speed with writing Drupal 8 modules, 
that is a pretty darn good opportunity if I say so myself. All right, I think we will wrap things up there and we will see you on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya!